Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. Good morning, everybody. Um, I wanted to mention the uh, Sportsman's Banquet one more time. It's September the 15th, and they said, can you, can you give us a plug on that? And I was like, yeah. And then they came back and said, hey, look, we've got a bunch of tables sold, but uh, we just need to remind everybody that, that has bought a ticket to come. Uh, but I think there's still tickets available, so you guys come. That supports our mission work in Africa, South America, India, Myanmar. I mean, we're in probably seven, eight different countries around the world. And we're not just teaching the gospel, but we're helping people with micro businesses like sewing machine businesses and other things that we do. And that supports all of that. So it's a great cause and it's super helpful to us. I want to say a shout out to all of the sports teams. Coach Biden, thank you so much for bringing the team here and being with us today and for all the other ULM teams that are here today. What a great day that we have to share together. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are grateful for uh, just your presence in this place. We're thankful that death was arrested. Um, We're thankful for the freedom that we have in Christ. And from that freedom, we have joy. And so help us to be people of joy. Um, As we dig into your word to see that it's not an option, that it's a command. And so that your truth would be uh, manifest today, that we would not only hear it, but we would apply it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, There's this great line in Proverbs 31. You know, Proverbs 31 is that, that's that passage that we always do at Mother's Day. It starts out, an excellent wife who can find for her worth is far above jewels. And then it goes on to delineate all of the character qualities of an excellent woman and what, what men would seek in that woman, what the woman seeks in herself, in her relationship with God. Uh, but then it comes to this in verse 25. And I've always loved this line. It says, strength and dignity are her clothing. And here it is. Underline this part. And she smiles at the future. I love that line. She smiles at the future. I love it because, uh, I don't know, there's such a confidence in that, right? She's not afraid of the future. But there's an effervescence to it as well. She's not just, you know, determining to lower her ears and plow into the future with grit and determination, but she's smiling at it. She's, she's looking at it with joy. And I think about that, and I think about the headlines that we read every day, and, you know, all the stuff we're hearing, and the conflict, and, you know, global warming, and worldwide pandemics, and monkeypox, and what are they going to think of next, you know? And uh, you got the Ukrainians and the Russians fighting over a nuclear reactor, That sounds like a bad idea to me. And you go, man, is there even going to be a future? And if there is, what's it going to look like? And it's hard sometimes, you know, especially you college guys, you know, it's an uncertain future with the job market and the the economy and all the things going on with that. And you're like, man, the future is a pretty scary thing. And not only does it create anxiety, but it makes it difficult to look at joy And yet we're called to joy. You know, we've been looking at joy all summer long, studying the book of Philippians. And last week we looked at right now joy, you know, that, yeah, I know that the week before we talked about joy from the past and there are are things in our past that kind of jump up and rob us of our joy, you know, regret and despair and loss and hurt and all that stuff. 
And sometimes we've got to relabel that stuff, you know, those things that maybe we look back at and uh, they were accolades that maybe pulled us further from God. We need to label that in the liability column because they, they in fact pulled us from God. But then there were other things that we went through that were hurtful or painful or, you know, embarrassing that actually brought us to our knees and pushed us toward the Father, and those we label as assets. And then we forget the past. Paul, Paul said, forgetting what lies behind, I press forward to what lies ahead. And I get that, but then here's a right now joy we need. To live right now joy, we've got to, you know, we've got to make peace. We've got to live in peace. We've got to battle our anxiety. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so now we come to the end. Paul wraps up Philippians by talking about future joy, um, what I would call, you know, forever joy, uh, a joy that will carry us through uncertain times to that point where, you know, as that virtuous woman, we smile at the future. Um, and man, I want to get there. What's it going to take? Well, Paul begins to talk about this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. So let's pick our Bibles up. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. Remember, if you can't find Philippians, it's GE Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. If you can find one of those, then go right or left and maybe you'll find it. I'll give you about 30 minutes. Okay? Philippians 4, verse 10. Now remember the situation. Paul is in prison and he's been sitting in prison for some time waiting trial that was never going to happen. The Jews had accused him of sedition, of revolt against Rome, and so one thing led to another. He winds up in Rome, in prison, under uh, house arrest, under the Praetorian Guard, and he's waiting. It drags out for two years. You know, they don't have that constitution that says the right to a speedy trial. The Jews are never coming because they know that their accusations were false and they can't make them stick. And when once Paul got out of Jerusalem, they really had no control over him. They, they couldn't sway things in Rome. So they, they just let him sit there. And he sits there under house arrest. He's got the guards over him. And Paul does what Paul does. He starts reaching the guard. And he says the whole Praetorian guard is coming to faith in God. And from that, the whole Roman world began to be transformed as every strata of society was influenced and infected by the, by the gospel uh, through the Praetorian Guard. But Paul's personal situation is bleak. He's got no cash. He can't work. He has no family outside the church. Whatever family he had abandoned him when he became a Christian. And he has to sort of take care of himself without any means of doing so. And so the church in Philippi, they pulled together an offering and they sent it to Paul to make sure he could eat. And so at the end of chapter 4 of Philippians, Paul begins to say thank you for the offering. But in the process of doing that, the Holy Spirit opens up some very powerful insights for us into how we walk into an uncertain future with joy. And the first thing I would say is this, and what I see out of verse 10, forever joy requires a higher priority than self-gratification. I want to show you how this works. Philippians 4.10, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you've revived your concern for me. Now, as Paul, sitting in Roman prison, kind of began to feel isolated, cut off. Does anybody really care? And the Philippians have revived their concern. He said, indeed, uh, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. And so now he's rejoicing. He said, he said now, uh, but I rejoiced greatly in the Lord. 
And the question is, why is he rejoicing? Is he rejoicing because of the offering? I mean, that's what we would naturally think because he's in such dire straits economically that the offering lifts his spirit. So is he rejoicing only because of the gift, because it was a God sin? Most of us would think that because most of us think that joy comes from the benefit of the offering because for us, joy is all about self-gratification. That's how it works, right? I mean, when something good happens to us, then we find joy. Uh, or hap- well, let's call it happiness. And the word happiness itself comes from the idea of something happening. So when good things happen, I get a day with that girl I've been wanting to get a day with, that guy that I've been hoping to call finally. Well, they don't call anymore. He texts, right? Uh, I make a little money that I didn't expect. I have a, uh, a little bit of notoriety. I, I, some good things happen on the field, whatever. And all of a sudden, I'm happy. And there's this transient nature to happiness that comes along with that. And so everybody's idea of it is that it's somehow tied to good things happening. And that's where this world lands, right? Everyone's pursuing happiness. What is it? We got life, liberty, and what? The pursuit of happiness. And that pursuit of happiness invariably takes us to a pursuit of self-gratification because we believe that happiness is found when self is satisfied. And so my whole life, I began to seek to find happiness through gratifying the self. But there's a problem with that, and that is self is never gratified because self is never satisfied. You need to write that down because that's pretty good. Self is never gratified. I thought that up myself. Self is never gratified because self is never satisfied. Because we have this thing at work in us called the law of diminishing returns. And essentially what that says is one thing leads to another. The thing that used to satisfy me won't satisfy me anymore. Remember you used to think, if I could only get that, if I could only experience that, if that would only come my way, and then it comes your way and it's not long before you're looking for something else. That's just in human nature. And and in fact, what used to make you happy doesn't make you happy anymore. You see this all over the Bible. I mean, you look at the Jews. They were a bunch of miserable slaves in Egypt, right? And God came in and through this profound, miraculous power, brings the ten plagues of Egypt. He not only delivers the Jews from Egypt, but they walk out of Egypt with the wealth of Egypt. And then they get pinned between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's armies, and God steps in and parts the sea. Everybody goes through. And you would think, one would think, having seen that, you would never again grumble against God. You'd never again go, God, I need anything. I mean, I've, I've seen it all now. I don't need to see anymore. But no sooner do they get in the wilderness, they get a little low on water, and man, the whole thing goes sideways. Max Lucado said it better than anyone I've ever heard. He said, over a million Israelites have been liberated from captivity and follow Moses into the desert. Their jubilation over liberation soon becomes frustration over dehydration. (laughs) That's pretty good. That's how it goes. Enough is never enough. Walker Percy says, why does man feel so bad in a very age when more than any other age he has succeeded in satisfying his needs and making over the world in his own use? We've got so much stuff, but so little joy. And you know what that tells me? Maybe joy is not found where you thought it was. Joy is not about self. Paul didn't rejoice because of the offering. Look at it carefully. He rejoiced because of what the offering said about the spiritual condition 
of the Philippian people who sent the offering. Look at, skip down to verse 17. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. I'm not, I'm not, the gift itself is nice, it's wonderful, thank you, I was hungry, I needed something to eat, bless you guys. But what's even more important is you get it that this band of brothers that I thought I had called the Philippians, I was worried they were no longer concerned about me, but they've revived their concern. And you guys have demonstrated that through this offering, that the Holy Spirit has you as my partner in the gospel. And what he's saying to that is, your priority is bigger than just you. I was trying to think how I could express this. Uh, years ago, I was watching a football game. It was Packers play, and so it must have been a playoff game because I didn't watch the Packers. And Brett Favre was at like the pinnacle of Brett Favre, you know. He was being Brett Favre. And uh, I, I remember in this game, Packers are down like less than seven because I know a touchdown is going to win the game. Time's running out. You've seen this thing. Favre somehow gets them close enough to strike the end zone. Seconds left. Maybe one or two plays left. Favre backs up. Something breaks down on the offensive line. This guy's coming at him. You know, Favre steps aside, delivers the ball as best he can. You know, he throws it to that spot where only the receiver can get it, but he's going to have to make a play. And man, bam, that 300-pound lineman's on him and boom, and buries him. You know, it's one of those where he, uh, he lifts his feet off the ground, lawn darts, you know, Brett Favre into the turf, and he's laying there in the turf. He can't even see what's going on in the end zone, but he hears Lambeau Field erupt in applause, and he knows they just won that game. And laying there under that 300-pound guy, Favre goes, yeah! You can see it. He's celebrating. Can't even see what happened. He's got a 300-pound guy on him. Can't even breathe. He's going, yeah! You know? And I thought about that for a minute, and I thought, he just got smoked. But he's celebrating. Why is he celebrating? Because in that moment, it wasn't about Brett Favre. It was about the Packers. It was about what God wanted to do in that, about what, he, what his team wanted to do in that moment. And the same is true for us. That's where real joy comes from. If you don't find joy in something bigger than you, then every time something doesn't go your way, you're going to get mad and you're going to be upset and you're going to live your life bothered. And the future is going to scare you to death because you can't protect yourself. You have to find a bigger why. You got to translate that moment into in sport into something much more eternal. Look, uh, look back over at Philippians four verse one. I skipped over this last week because I wanted to come back. So let's hit it a lick now. Philippians four verse one. It says, "Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see." Now look what he calls them: my joy and my crown. My joy, my kara in the Greek, and my crown. Only well, doesn't use the word for crown, diadem which means the crown of the king. He uses the crown Stephanos, which is the crown of the athlete. It's the wreath of the athlete who wins the prize. You are my crown. You know what he's saying? It's not about me. It's not about the experience I have. It's about, it's about us as a team. It's about what God is doing. And your victory becomes my victory. Do you feel that? Do you see it? 
You're not living for yourself. Paul's joy was tied to what God wanted to do, not through his life only, but what he wanted to do through his life and the lives of others. And so it didn't matter what he went through. You know, Paul is, in 4.1, Paul is, is back to the ground with a 300-pound lineman on him celebrating what's happening. He's in prison, man. He's hungry. He's got nothing. He's got a 300-pounder on his chest, but he sees the victory in the lives of the Philippians. Secondly, forever joy is content where I am with what I have. Man, this is hard, isn't it? Verse 11, not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. He says, I'm content in every circumstances. Now, given that he's in prison, that's pretty amazing. But I want you to see this. First, this is learned behavior. He says, I have learned. How do you learn something? Through repetitive practice, right? I mean, we've got this new math thing going on in schools. I don't get it. We had to learn our times tables, right? And if you don't learn your times tables, then you're going to struggle in math. So we had to learn our times table, you know, eight times two. I don't even have to think about that. That's 16. How do I know? Well, because some teacher in the first or second grade or third or fourth grade, maybe in my case, the seventh grade, I don't know. Uh, you know, they just pounded it into me. Now you've got to learn your timetable. And I learned it through repetition. That's why we practice, we practice, we practice. Look, if you want joy, if you want contentment, it's learned behavior. It's not just going to happen naturally. I've learned the secret, he says. Second, it's powerful behavior. This word content is a powerful concept. It was tied to the philosophical world of the ancient Greeks. Kittle says the word is both central concept and ethical discussion from the time of Socrates, and yet also a well-worn term in ordinary usage. Socrates said, who is the wealthiest? He is he, he that is content with the least. Now the Spirit took that word out of the out of the Greek philosophical system and changed it somewhat to where it's not a self-control, but it becomes a spirit-controlled life that I become content. And that becomes a, a repeated theme through the Scripture. Look at 1 Timothy 6, 6. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by, there's the word again, contentment. And Paul said, I've learned to be content. And here's how it plays out. Verse 12. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. And I know what you're thinking. Here's what you're, you're thinking what I'm thinking. You're thinking, hey, I've, I've done this humble means part. I've learned that. I'm pretty good at that. Let's try some of the prosperity part, right? Because that seems easier. And I know, I know, I get it. You know, we hear people say money's not the key to happiness, but we all kind of think that if we have enough money, we can have the key made, Right? And so, hey, I'd like to try some of this, this prosperity thing. But listen, don't think for a second that prosperity is easier to manage than adversity. Carlisle wrote, adversity is sometimes hard on a man, but for one man that can stand prosperity, there are a hundred that, that can stand adversity. And you see this all the time. Somebody gets fame or money, what happens? He gets full of himself, right? Then he dumps his family. He wrecks his reputation. He blows all his money, and he finds himself emptier than before. Why? Because he couldn't handle prosperity. Did you know this? I thought this was stunning. 70% of lottery winners end up broke within seven years of winning the lottery. 70% file bankruptcy. 
Here's something for you athletes. 78% of professional athletes go broke within three years of retirement. 78%. You know why? Because you can't buy joy. And the more you try to fill your life up with stuff, the emptier your life becomes. If you want to fill your life up, then empty it. Isn't that what Jesus said? Release yourself. Give yourself away. Look at what Paul said. I've learned the secret. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret. And that word secret comes from a secret initiation ritual in a secret society. Paul's saying, I've cracked the code. I've learned the secret handshake. And here's the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Paul knew the secret. And here's the secret. You ready for it? Here's the secret of contentment. Whatever God gives me is exactly what I need. That's where he was. Whatever God has given me is exactly what I need. So if I've had little, then in this moment, phase of my life, that's what I needed. If I have much, that's what I needed. And so you need to understand this is a powerful, powerful concept tied to joy. It's a learned behavior. I practice it. It's a powerful idea. But here's the third thing, and maybe most important. You can't do this without Jesus. It's, it's, here, here's the problem, or maybe the, the blessing. When God created you, He created you with a Jesus-shaped void in your soul, and nothing will fill that but Jesus. And I see people spend their lives trying to stuff other things in that Jesus-shaped spot. And they'll stuff athletics, or they'll stuff success, or they'll stuff money, or they'll try to stuff another person, or, or they'll try to stuff some life experience or fame or whatever. Nothing's going to fill you up. Whatever you put in there, if it's not Jesus, you're not going to have the power to walk in satisfaction, contentment, and joy. It's just not going to happen. That's exactly what he says in verse 13. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And so the the power of God is the, is the basis of balance. And you see this all over the place. Job had his world shattered. He'd lost his wealth, his family, his health, his reputation. But listen to what he says, verse 21. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. David had a son that killed another son and then led a coup d'etat against his kingdom, actually got David kicked out of the palace on the run for his life. 2 Samuel 15, 25, the king said to Zadok, return the ark of God to the city. If I find favor in the sight of the Lord, then he'll bring me back again and show me both it and his habitation. Now look at this. But if he should say thus, I have no delight in you, Behold, here I am. Let him do to me as seems good to me. And how does a dude say that in light of the trail of his own son? Hebrews 11.24 says that by faith Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Um, listen to this, verse 26. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt... Uh, for he was looking to the reward. And most historians would say that that daughter of Pharaoh became Queen Hadatchip, 
And she created a couple of obelisks at the Temple of Karnak that were covered in, in a, a, a material called electrum, which is naturally occurring amalgam of 75% gold, 22% silver, and 3% copper. She covered these massive obelisks in that. The cost would have been priceless then, priceless now, but that was just a fraction of her wealth. When Moses walked away from that, <laughs> Moses gave up a lot of cash. Follow God. And, and in doing that, found life. You know, only God can give you that kind of contentment. I'm telling you right now, you'll never find it. That's why Augustine said, my, my, my soul will never be content until it's content in thee. That's why David said, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul thirsts for thee, O God, because God put it in us. One last thing, forever joy needs to be involved in the struggle. I love this, but I have received everything in full and have an abundance. What preacher says that? Guys, quit, quit giving offerings. I got all I need. You'll never hear some televangelists say that. I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you've sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing. Huh? And you know what I feel? To me, it's obvious that the stuff that they gave him was just fuel for the race. It was always a means to an end. It was like the sword for the warrior. He didn't fall in love with the sword. He used the sword. The stuff that they gave him became tools in the bag for him to do the business of kingdom gospel presentation, right? The material things of life were simply equipment God provided to fulfill the mission, Let's go back to the football analogy one more time. Uh, and by the way, these football analogies were, were in the process of my preparation before I ever heard the football team was coming. So just let y'all know. Maybe it's a Holy Spirit thing. But if you want to go to a football analogy of understanding how God equips us for the calling, God, God equips the called. And here's how it works. Suppose... Coach Doug Peterson, the Jacksonville Jaguars, calls me up on the phone and says, Di, we need you. I'm like, yeah, coach. He's like, I need your blazing speed, Di. <laughs> I'm like, I'm there, coach. I'm there. What can I do for you? You know, we need, we need that help from the edge. I need some, some speed on the edge. You know, <laughs> honestly, one time I was talking to Doug, and I said, you know, Doug, I'd have been a great athlete if it wasn't for my legs. I got gypped on the legs. And Doug said, well, you know, Pastor, it's only about the legs. <laughs> Doug calls me up and says, man, I need some help on the Jaguars. I'm like, hey, I'm there. Come on. So I jump, jump on an airplane to Jacksonville, sign the papers. Man, they take me to one of those rooms, and they start bringing out the equipment. Here's your helmet. I get a brand new NFL helmet, Jacksonville Jaguars on the side of it. It's like, an NFL helmet? A real one, like not the fake plastic kind, you, you know, a real one. Then he hands me my jersey, got die written on the back. I don't even care what number it is. He gives me an NFL jersey and NFL shoulder pads and pants and socks with little Jaguars on them. And I don't know, shoes with Jaguars on them. I don't care. You get all the Jaguar stuff. I didn't even root for the Jaguars till Doug went there, but now I'm all in. I'm a Jaguar, right? And I started looking at this stuff, and I go, man, I've always wanted an NFL helmet. I, I've always wanted an NFL jersey, a real one, especially with my name on it. I mean, 
I don't want to mess this stuff up. What if I went out there and played and I got a scratch on my helmet? I'm not going to use this helmet. I'm going to keep this helmet. I'm going to keep this jersey. I'm going to keep these pants. I'm, I'm going home. I'm going to take all my stuff they just gave me. I'm going home, and I'm going to build me a, a wall of precious memories, and I'm going to hang all my stuff on the wall so I can sit and look at all this great NFL stuff I've got. Who cares about playing a game? I got the stuff. Look, they don't give the player his uniform so that he can enjoy his uniform. They give the player his uniform so that he can do his job on the field. God's the owner. You play for him. He supplies you. Quit using his supplies on yourself and quit falling in love with the supplies. There's no joy in that. There's some joy in wearing the jersey, but there's real joy in playing the game. You, you talk to me about anybody on a football team, and it's really cool to get the, the, the stuff, right? I wouldn't know, but I can imagine. It's really cool. You guys got your ULM stuff. I mean, that must have been a cool day. Freshman, here's your stuff. But I don't know anybody on a football team that would love to sit on the bench so that he can keep all his stuff perfect. He wants to get in the game and scuff that stuff up because he knows that's where the joy is. But it's not wearing the stuff, it's playing the game. And that's why so many people don't have any joy, especially in the church, because we show up, you know, at 1030 sharp and we leave at 1135 dull. And, uh, you know, we go, oh, that was a pretty good show for a quarter. Um, you know, I don't know. What do you think? And they never engage. You sick, soak and sour. You never play the game. Well, there's no wonder there's no joy in it. To find real joy you take that gift of the gospel that Jesus has given you and you invest that in other people's lives and you empty yourself of who you are and you use his equipment for his glory. And look what happens. And my God, verse 19, shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. That's not a prosperity gospel. You know what that is? That's an athletic gospel. He's saying, whatever equipment you break, in the use of that equipment in the kingdom of God, I'll make sure you get more. You, you, you break your helmet, I'll give you a new helmet. You break your face mask, I'll give you a new one of those. If you, know, if, if you, you get your shirt torn, I, I got one of those. And God's going to constantly equip the called so that we can fulfill the mission, and it's in the process of that that we discover lasting joy. And now to our God and Father, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Isn't that ironic that he's going to stand before Caesar and some of the Christians in the church work for Caesar? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And he doesn't say this, but this is the gist of the whole book. And may you have joy. Can I ask you right now, how's your joy? Have you been chasing happiness on your own, thinking it's all about yourself, but that thing that you thought would make you happy didn't? That's going to be the pattern of your entire life. 
You've got to learn that secret of contentment. It's learned behavior. It's powerful behavior, but it's empowered by Jesus alone. And if you don't know Jesus, you'll never know joy. So why don't you give your life to Jesus this morning? And then stop using his stuff (laughs) on yourself and get in the game. Why don't we just make that a commitment? Let's just bow before the Father right now. And here's our commitment. Father, we thank you that you've given us everything that we need for life and godliness. We don't need one more thing to be joyful. We don't need to move five inches from where we are to be joyful. You've given us all we need. And whatever you've given us is what we need. So give us contentment with that. But Father, we need Jesus to do that. And so I just pray, Father, for those that need Jesus right now, that in this moment they would just say, Jesus, I need you. Man, I'm tired of being tired. I'm tired of being miserable. And I need my life changed. I got so much regret. I got so much shame. I got so much guilt. I'm sick of it. And I just want to put all that at the feet of of Jesus at the cross. So, Father, I don't even know the right words to say, just best I know how. Take me, Lord. I'm yours. Father, we thank you that salvation is in Christ alone. And we thank you that contentment is in Christ alone. And we thank you that joy is in Christ alone. Forgive us, Father, for being content to worship the stuff and not use the stuff for your purpose. Forgive us, Father, for letting it be about us and not being about what the team needs. And let us surrender ourselves for the sake of the call of Christ Jesus. And in the process, discover joy. Thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make Him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.